Well, our scripture this morning comes from uh, Isaiah, once again, Isaiah chapter 10. This morning our uh, entire uh, passage is going to be Isaiah 10 through 11, 16. I'm not going to read all of that for us, but I will read uh, Isaiah 10, 20 through 27. So hear God's good and kind word to you this morning. In that day, the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no more lean on him who struck them, but will lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. A remnant will return the remnant of Jacob to the mighty God. For though your people Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will return. Destruction is decreed, overflowing with righteousness. For the Lord God of hosts will make a full end as decreed in the midst of all the earth. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, O my people who dwell in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrians when they strike you with the rod and lift up their staff against you as the Egyptians did. For in a very little while my fury will come to an end and my anger will be directed to their destruction. And the Lord of hosts will wield against them a whip as when he struck Midian at the rock of Oreb. And his staff will be over the sea and he will lift it as he did in Egypt. And in that day his burden will depart from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck. And the yoke will be broken because of the fat. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray and ask for the Lord to help us understand his word today. Pray with me, please. Father, we thank you for giving us this word today, and we pray that we would understand it. We pray that in this word, we would understand how you are directing all of the courses and the events of history, all for the sake of the revelation of your Son, Jesus Christ, and His glory. Pray that we would be encouraged this day as your people. And if anyone is here listening today who isn't one of yours, I pray that you would call that person to yourself through this word, the means of grace that you have given. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we are living through turbulent Times. And I've heard some of you say, who lived through the 1960s, that our current events remind you of those tumultuous years. Now, during the 1960s, the television revolutionized society's access and consumption of information. And today we're seeing a similar, albeit more extensive, revolution of access and consumption of information because we have it at our fingertips through our phones. Now, if you're like me, you've probably spent way too much time attempting to absorb the information, all of it you can, in order to make an informed opinion regarding what is happening in our world, only to be overwhelmed by the sheer amount of information that is available to us. And I've commented to those closest to me that I feel so helpless because it all seems so complex. Thankfully, they have responded by reminding me of what ult is ultimately true and what is ultimately needed. 
Well, since I've been the recipient of those calming reminders, I want to return the favor and help us look at our modern events through the soothing lens of Scripture. Now, our temptation is to believe that our times are unique, but the Bible appropriately bursts that bubble. Things today have always been this way, at least since Genesis chapter 3. And the turmoil of our world has always been there to a greater or lesser degree. And Isaiah is reflecting on the turmoil in his day. And through that reflection, he offers us real hope. It's hope in the midst of trouble, peace in the midst of chaos, and a soothing word in the midst of suffering. Now this hope and peace are always ours if we are in Christ. This morning I want to see that in three ways. First of all, we're going to see the reality that the nations will rage. First, the nations will rage. Secondly, we're going to see that Emmanuel will rise. And then thirdly, the remnant will return. So let's begin by looking at the fact, the reality, that the nations will rage. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? That's the question the psalmist asks in Psalm chapter 2. His question assumes that the nations are raging. That the nations and all of their machinations and works are attempting to break away from their dependence upon God. As Christians, the raging of the nations helps us understand the events of our world today. You see, this is the way that it has been since Genesis 4. You remember what happened there. Cain killed his brother Abel in an attempt to throw off the bonds that Yahweh had placed on him. Eventually, after his violence didn't work, what did he do? He was banished and cast out. He built a city to his own honor, and his descendants after him carried on the task of city building by growing their economy and their military might in the process. By Genesis chapter 6, we see that Cain's nation had become largely successful at breaking the bonds of Yahweh. So what does Yahweh do? He deals with that nation, with that wicked nation, by sending a flood through Noah. Then again, in Genesis chapter 11, Nimrod, following in Cain's footsteps, he builds a city with the express purpose of having a tower that reaches up to the heavens. It's an attempt to reach up to God, to extend the, man, the, to extend the reach of man into the heavens. And he was pretty successful. So what happens? Yahweh comes down, he confuses the language and disperses the nations all over the world. Now, here in Isaiah, we see that it is the king of Assyria and the nation of Assyria with plans to overthrow the bonds of Yahweh. We saw that a little bit last week, but we also see it some in this passage today. It's the Assyrians who are raging against the Lord and against the Lord's people. You see that all through the scriptures, the nations rage. 
Now, if you skip from the beginning and the middle of the Bible all the way to the end in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 13, you'll see that the Apostle John is giving a terrifying vision of this national rage. In this chapter, this raging of the nations is illustrated in stark relief. He sees two beasts, one from the sea and one from the land, rise to wreak havoc on all of the earth. Now, over the years, these two beasts, this vision of the beast, have been interpreted in different ways. But I can tell you what these beasts are. The sea beast is the nations of the earth as they attempt to destroy Yahweh and overthrow his people. And the earth beast is the false religions of the world as they join forces with the nations to usurp the rule of Jesus Christ. According to Revelation and really all of the scriptures, the objective of the nations and of false religion is to elevate man to the place of God, to make us gods. By another name, it's called humanism or secular humanism. Just as Adam and Eve reached up to grab the fruit to be like God, just like Cain built a city to mimic the eternal relationship of the Trinity and be like God, and just like Nimrod built a tower that reached up into the clouds in order to reach to God and put himself on the level of God, so the nations rage in order to replace and tear Yahweh down. The rage of the Assyrians is here in chapter 10, verses 28 through 34. He has come to Aoth. He has passed through Migron. At Michmash, he stores his baggage. They have crossed over the pass. At Geba, they lodge for the night. Ramah trembles. Gibeah of Saul has fled. Cry aloud, O daughters of Galim. Give attention, O Lasha. Poor Anoth. Madama is in flight. The inhabitants of Gavim flee for safety. This very day he will halt at Nob. He will shake his fist at the mountain of the daughter of Zion, the hill of Jerusalem. So you see there, Assyria rages against Yahweh, against Zion, against his people. Friends, when you watch the news, when you see the riots in the streets, when you hear of the plotting and scheming that is taking place in this world, you need to remember that this is the way it's been from the beginning. Mankind and all of his sinfulness will rage against God with whatever instruments he can find in his hands to rage. Cities, towers, monies, economies, militaries, technology, whatever man can find he will use to rage against God. Yahweh. So why are we surprised when we see young people raging today? We shouldn't be. But know for sure that behind all of the human rage, the real goal is to overthrow the reign of God. Why? Because they hate God. And since they hate God, if you belong to God, they will hate you as well. Let me encourage you, friends, that is exactly where you want to be. It is better to be hated by the world and accepted by God 
than to be accepted by the world and hated by God. But let me warn you. The world's rage manifests itself in both progressive and conservative philosophies, values, and practices. You need to make sure that you are hated because you are God's child, not because you are obnoxious on Facebook. It's the first thing that we see. The nations will rage. But secondly, and more importantly, we see that Emmanuel will rise. The Lord has a response to the nations raging against him. Psalm, the psalmist in Psalm 2 again says this, He who sits in heaven laughs. That's how the Lord responds to man's attempt to break Yahweh's rule over him. You need to understand that right now in large rooms filled with the great minds of the nations, these people are meeting with either the expressed or the suppressed goal of overthrowing Yahweh. They are meeting in all sorts of religious gatherings with their own scriptures and with their own gods. And guess what? There's more of them than there are of us. How does the Lord respond to the meeting of the minds and of the collaborations between the nations? He laughs at their foolishness and pride. He derides them for their arrogance. They truly think that they can match the Lord and he holds them in contempt. I don't want to belabor this point. I don't want to go off on a tangent. Um, but this is from the You Can't Make This Stuff Up Department, the European Union's parliamental, uh, parliamentary headquarters in Strasbourg is based off of a Renaissance artist rendition of the Tower of Babel. You see, they, they're not even really hiding their agenda. The EU... The League of Nations, the United Nations, all of these different groups at times are trying to come together in order to do what Nimrod failed to do. But ultimately, they're using the same methods that he used. We need to remember that the Lord laughs at man's attempt to overthrow his rule. Now, if you look here at Isaiah 10, verse 26... What does the Lord do to man when, when the nations rage? What does the Lord do to these nations? Well, in 10.26, he says this, And the Lord of hosts will wield a whip against them, as when he struck Midian at the rock of Oreb. What happens is that the Lord comes as our mighty God. He comes as our El Gabor our warrior God, just like we were told he would come in, in Isaiah 9, 6, that Emmanuel would be our warrior. He came against the nation of Midian who fought against him and his people. He came against the nation of Egypt when they came against him and his people. Our warrior God will come in his glory to fight for his people. But how does he come? Look in chapter 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So you see there that the Lord comes as a 
a shoot or a small little twig that sprouts up from a locked down tree. He comes in a little branch. And in the roots, you know, the roots that you can't see that are underneath the tree, the unseen things, of course, that's talking about the line of David, the dynasty of David, that from the line of David that was cut down, ultimately, the branch will come. And that is how Emmanuel comes. That's how he always comes. Genesis chapter 6, Yahweh didn't come as a great nation, but he came to one man with a small family, and through Noah, he destroyed the nation of Cain. And then in Genesis 12, after Nimrod and all of his exploits and, and all those nations were dispersed, he, God once again came to one man, a sojourner, without really any family to speak of. He came to Father Abraham, the father of many nations. He used one man to destroy the wickedness of Nimrod, not to mention Moses and David and Elijah and Elisha and the prophets and the judges and on and on and on. Emmanuel comes in the small things, in the unseen things, in the unnoticed things, in the discarded things, and he conquers the world. Right now, Emmanuel is rising again. We live in the reality, though, that Emmanuel has already risen. He has come. He is coming. And he will come again. That's the theme of the book of Revelation. That's the theme of Isaiah. That's the theme of the scripture. Amid all of the turmoil and chaos, Emmanuel is rising again today. You may not be able to see him, but he's here. So here, listen to the encouraging word of Isaiah. Isaiah 10, 24. Therefore, says the Lord God of hosts, O my people who dwell in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrians when they strike you with the rod and lift up their staff against you as, as the Egyptians did for in a very little while. My fury will come to an end and my anger will be directed to their destruction. Be encouraged. Do not be afraid. Emmanuel is rising again. Finally, I want you to see the third thing. The remnant will return. I want you to notice here in verses 20 through 23 uh, just the, the way that God's people are described. I think they're described in three ways. The remnant, the small group of God's people that are left over are described as the returners, the survivors, and the leaners. God's people will return to Yahweh, away from leaning on the kings of the world. In verse 20, you see that. And then, we're going to do so in truth. That can mean that they truly return to Yahweh, as in it's not a half-hearted return. Or it can mean that God's people return to the truth of who Yahweh is, Either way, God's people will return to him. And we're going to return by leaning on him because he is our mighty God. We lean on God because he is our champion who fights for us. We lean upon him resting all of our weight on his mighty shoulders to save. 
And then finally, we're called survivors. We're the ones that make it through all of the trials that come. Here in the Old Testament is the beloved doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. The remnant of God's people will return to the Lord who will strike the nations as he has done throughout history. Our God fights for us. But even as we return as survivors, there is an element of thriving to that return. Look at 1027. In that day, his burden will depart from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck, and the yoke will be broken because of the fat. That last little line, my Bible says that the Hebrew here is uncertain. It's kind of hard. This is a Hebrew idiom, and it's kind of hard to know what, what do they mean in that. Well, it's basically saying that our necks are going to be really, really fat. Now, in our world, telling someone that they have a fat neck is not a good thing, and I do not recommend that you do that. But here, Isaiah is using the imagery of an ox who is so large, he's so strong and so healthy, that when someone, one of the nations, comes to yoke the ox, he's too big and he can't be controlled. Not only that, but all of the attempts that to yoke this ox or God's people will actually break the, the instruments of oppression, the yoke, into pieces. But the promise is even greater than that. In chapter 11, when God says uh, that it won't just be those natural citizens of Israel that are called back in return. He says in verses 11 and 12 of chapter 11 that the Lord is going to raise a signal for all of his people in all of the nations to come out from them and come to him. All of those nations that he lists here, you can see the, the ones that he lists in verse 11. From Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, which is Ethiopia, from Elam and from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea, and all of these places, and all of these nations that are raging against God's people, there are people in them that belong to Yahweh. And, and it, he uses that word, Shinar. Um, that's an ancient word for the land of Babylon, for Mesopotamia, the land where uh, Nimrod actually built the Tower of Babel God says, even from that place, I have my people. And I will raise a signal or a banner. That's that word banner. The banner of Emmanuel for them. And I don't have time to develop all of this. But the banner was raised in ancient battles. And that banner, when it was raised, told all of the soldiers around when they saw it to come and unite under the banner Let's come and reunite and regroup and go out and attack again. We are called to the banner for safety because, yes, there is safety under the banner of Christ. But we're also called there to regroup and go once more into the breach for the sake of Christ. So what do we make of all this? What's the application to us as we attempt to navigate the world in which we live? Well, it's actually pretty simple. Don't be, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. We need to be smart. 
We need to be wise. We need to be careful. Sure, we need to be all of those things. But since we're living 2,000 years after Emmanuel came into the world as the Lamb of God to take away our sins, we need to realize that Emmanuel has already won the war. The nations will rage, but we will praise. Under the banner of Christ we have fled for refuge. Let me conclude in this way. Look, look quickly at Isaiah eleven sixteen. Look at Isaiah eleven sixteen. Um, this is what we're told, Isaiah eleven sixteen. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people, as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. Here we're told that there is a highway for people from Assyria, God's people that he sent to Assyria, for them to return to the Lord. Sometimes when I drive, and I really enjoy driving, I like taking the back roads. I like the scenic views. But other times, when I'm really excited to get wherever it is we're going, I really like the highway. It's faster. It's wide open. There are not all these obstructions in the way, getting, getting in the way of where we're supposed to be. Now, in the ancient world, they didn't have cars, obviously, but you always wanted to travel on a highway because it was safer, it was easier, it was quicker. And God is telling his people he has made that highway for us to travel so that we can get to him in safety and quickly. Yahweh has made a highway. Now I think it's really interesting that when Nimrod wanted to get to God, he built a tower up. When Cain wanted to be secure, he built a city up. Our instinct as sinful humans is to build up to the sky to reach higher and higher. But notice, God didn't build a tower for us to get to Him. He came down to us in and through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And in Jesus, He made a highway for us to get to Him. He has made the way straight. Go to Christ. Go today. Go today. Flee to Him for refuge. Flee to Him for security. Find peace in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for giving us this word today. I pray that You would help us to be a people of peace in a world of chaos. And that because of Christ, we would actually show that peace. That we would demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ and His overcoming the world and the nations raging against Him through his life, through his death, through his resurrection. Help us to go forward in that confidence and to not be discouraged. We pray these things in Christ's name.